Good morning, everyone. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I love to even just look around in here and outside and savor all the sights and the sounds and the smells of Christmas. Welcome to our service, and especially if you're one who's visiting with us this morning, we uh, would like to give you some information about the church. So if you would simply raise your hand, Pastor Kevin will give you a packet of information about the church. There's a little card in there you can fill out, put in the offering plate, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. But right now your only job is to raise your hand and let Pastor Kevin see you, and he'll get that packet of information to you if you're visiting with us. I don't have a lot of announcements to make this morning. I do have several, but what I really want to stress is this insert that was in the bulletin last week, and there are copies of it in the narthex. You have one. Some of you receive them in the mail. Use these as invitations to friends and neighbors to invite them to come to some of the special Christmas happenings here at the church. One of which is tonight. Tonight is our Christmas drama. And uh, what we say in that insert is, what do a robbery gone wrong, a case of mistaken identity, and a small church's Christmas program all have in common? You're going to have to come out tonight to see an unlikely Christmas shepherd to find out. It's presented by our Salt Light Fragrance drama team. And uh, I've got to tell you this, that this is one of those events that if you miss it, everybody's going to be talking about this for weeks and months to come. So be sure to be here and be a part of it, but bring folks with you. A lot of work has gone into it. It's going to be something that will be entertaining with a purpose. And that purpose will be you may be a part of seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior tonight. So we encourage you to come, to be praying, to be bringing people with you tonight. Christmas drama. And as you... Refer back to your inserts that you've received. You'll see there are a number of other things that are coming up, many of them with the idea of outreach, which means that we're reaching out to our community and inviting them to come in. The live nativity coming up Saturday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, you can read more about that on that insert, and uh, we encourage you to come and bring people with you during those times. A week from today on Sunday night, the Christmas cantata, once again, that's something that people in the community love Christmas music, and this is beautiful Christmas music, some of which is very familiar, all woven together, so we encourage you to be a part of that as well. The Christmas Eve services, and then New Year's Eve. We haven't had a New Year's Eve service for a while, but we are this year, and um, that's the world's most unusual prayer meeting for a time of fun, fellowship, desserts, and you'll be reminded, and you can read more about that in the inserts as well. Uh, once again, to mention all of the angel tree families and the children have been covered, but this is the time for us to be praying for those as they deliver the gifts and make contact with the family. Uh, that was a great response, and I've got to uh, be encouraged, and all of us are encouraged by the folks who participate in that. Check out the insert for the Alden Bible School winter classes, and there's a second insert about an elective to be offered for seven weeks. We always encourage you to attend Bible school. We can do that immediately afterwards. Uh, Bible school, if you're not sure where to go, which class will suit you, there are some very nice people in the Narthex. Just find the Welcome Center, and they'll be glad to take care of you. If you haven't passed the friendship pad yet in your pew, if you would do so, and make note of the names of everybody there so you can be greeting each other by name. And uh, this prayer request... Please be in prayer for Dave Pilgrim and his family as they prepare for the funeral of Dave's father on Tuesday. That's this coming Tuesday, two days from now, 11 o'clock a.m. at the Minshall Shropshire Briar Funeral Home in Middletown. That's 352 in Knowlton Roads. There is a visitation Monday night from 7 to 9 at the funeral home and Tuesday 
uh, an hour before the service, so that would be from 10 to 11. And let me encourage you to read the bulletin. There are a lot of other important things that are going on, so be sure to do that as well. Let's commit our time together to the Lord now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the special nature of the Christmas season when we're reminded of that word that's not a real common word, but that word incarnation, God becoming a human being. Thank you so much that you did that. Thank you so much for Emmanuel, that you're with us. Thank you that there are so many reminders of what happened. Thank you that we don't have to lose the real thing in the midst of everything else that goes on. Thank you that we're focused here this morning. We're focused on bringing glory to you and magnifying your name and thanking you for all that you've done. So help us to that end. Even now, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We invite us all to stand as we sing some Christmas carols this morning. We'll pray. 
Take a few moments and let's greet those that are around us. Let's take a few moments. Well, today we light the third candle of the Advent wreath. Each week, the light will grow stronger as we have anticipated Christ's coming into the world. This third candle is the angel's candle. Today, we join with the angels to proclaim that God's Son has indeed come into the world. Luke 1, 26 to 33. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you who are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke 2, 8-14 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. As we light the angel's candle, we also anticipate Christ's second coming to this world. One day, Jesus will return, not as a babe, but as our Savior, to take all of his followers home to be with God in heaven. One day, we shall behold Jesus in all of his glory and majesty, face to face. At this time, let's sing together the third verse and refrain of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's in your hymnals if you'd like there, but it's also on the screen in front of us. Oh, come thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and wide, Father, we thank you for this time of anticipation, this time of celebration, this time of remembering Emmanuel, God with us, of remembering the Lord Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Lord, we recognize that we will never fully understand the humility that was involved for the Lord Jesus to come down as a tiny baby, for you to send your son down as a tiny baby. But we are very thankful. We thank you for all that the Lord Jesus did on this earth, We thank you that he was willing to die for us on this earth. We thank you for your power that raised him from the dead. We thank you that he continues to be our advocate. And we do pray for his return. And Lord, we know that there are a lot among us who are suffering in many ways right now. We pray for each one. We pray for those that have lost loved ones. We pray for those that are suffering through physical issues, through mental issues, through emotional issues. We pray for those that are suffering in relationships that are hurting or broken. We pray, Lord, for those who have had the courage to step out in faith to serve you in very tough places and stand strong for you. We pray your blessing on each one of these, Lord. We pray that for every single one, it would be a time of drawing closer to you. For every single one of us, it would be a time of drawing closer to you 
of drawing more like the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, for our whole missionary family. This morning we especially pray for Jim and Joan Farr in Papua New Guinea. We thank you for their decades of dedication to translating the scriptures into the languages of the people there in Papua New Guinea. We thank you for providing for their physical needs. We pray that you would bless them as a couple. We pray that you would continue to bless their work and use them in a mighty way to bring your word to the people there. We pray for Terry Montgomery, our leader of the week. We thank you for the tremendous financial and leadership gifts that you've given to Terry. We thank you that he's been willing to use those gifts here to help this small part of your body at Old Dominion Church. We pray your blessing on Terry and all the travel he continues to do. We pray your blessing on Leslie and their whole family. We pray for our students, Lord. In particular, we pray for Amy Lefferts at Westchester University. Pretty sure Amy has one final exam left to take this semester. We pray that she would look to you for the strength and wisdom she needs to get through that and, and you would bless her during that time. We pray for Randy Miller at Millersville. Pray that you would honor him. We pray that he would honor you, Lord. We pray for Steve Sweeney in the Navy. We pray for great family time for Julie and Steve and their two sons prior to Steve's deployment into March. And we pray that Steve and Julie would be salt, light, and fragrance to the people that they interact with. Steve with the people that he's deployed with, Julie with the wives that she stays with back in Washington. Our Lord, we pray for this offering. We know that it's just a small, small little piece of what you've given to us. We pray, we pray though, Lord, that you would take it, you would multiply it, you would use it for your purposes to bring glory to you. And we pray all this in the name of our Savior, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, we're going to sing uh, two songs. One's a Christmas carol, and the other one we know very well. We're going to sing the first Noel, and we're going to combine it with Amazing Grace. And that's very much on purpose, because Christmas is a, a very joyful time, but there's also something so um, mysterious about the concept that, uh, that Jesus was born, and we think of this cute little baby, and we think of the major scene, and that is, that is good, but it's also good to think of the fact that this is our Savior, and at this time of year, it's very commercially easy to just think through the joy of that thing, but it's also important for us to remember the purpose and the mission of Jesus, and that was to save, and so as our Savior, we're going to sing together the first Noel, and we're going to jump to singing, My Chains Are Gone, so it's, it's nice to connect those two, so let's sing together the first Noel.
all to stand as the children are dismissed. Let's continue to praise the Lord this morning through song. Thank you. 
Father, what a great thought to see you high and lifted up. That's really what we're trying to accomplish through our scriptures and the lessons from them this Christmas season. The word magnify keeps coming up, glorify keeps coming up. To see you high and lifted up. We can't make you any bigger than you are, any greater than you are. But we can extol your name, we can exalt you, we can put you under the magnifying glass and see and have others to be able to help us to see exactly what a great God you are. And even then, we can't even come close to comprehending, but what we see is amazing. So I pray that you'll help us to that end, even this morning, that we'll be able to see you magnified and lifted up even more. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We've already had in our Advent reading part of the scripture for this morning. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 8 and then go through verse 20. What I'd like to ask you to do is to, in some way, kind of pretend that you haven't heard the Christmas story dozens, for some of you, and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Imagine you're out in a field with the shepherds, and this is all new. It's happening for the first time. What I'd like for us to be able to do is to see and to feel what's going on, not to just say, well, I know that story, I know this, I know what's coming next, and it's kind of old hat, but feel this, if you will, as we read through here. You're there in the field with the shepherds. Jesus has been born, and then the events beginning with verse 8 ensue. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we have now the third of the four Sunday mornings before Christmas. We're looking together at four songs of the first Christmas, all of them recorded here in Luke's Gospel. Each song is known by its Latin name, named after the first word in the song as recorded in a translation known as the Latin Vulgate. So far, we've learned two Latin words. I hope we've learned them. They remind us of God's greatness, and this morning we're going to learn the third of these Latin words. The first one that we looked at was Mary's Magnificat. That word Magnificat is a Latin word. We see that beginning in chapter 1 and verse 46. And Magnificat is the first word in the Latin Vulgate of that particular song. So it would be, my soul magnifies in the Latin, that's all one word, and that's Magnificat. So Mary's Magnificat, that means to magnify or glorify or to enlarge. So in Mary's song, we see the Lord enlarged. He doesn't get any bigger, but we're able to see more of him because more of him is on display it's under the magnifying glass, and we see more and more of that. And Mary joins with those down through the centuries who have praised and glorified the Lord. The next one of the songs that we looked at was called Zacharias Benedictus, which means praise be or blessed be. And that picked up in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and that was, again, the first word of that particular song. Zechariah joins Mary now in wanting to praise the Lord and to magnify him and to exalt him. And really, that's what Christmas celebrations are all about. And the third Latin word we're going to see, Latin expression today, it's the angel's gloria in excelsis Deo. That's in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. That's the third of our songs. It's one verse long, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest is the English translation of gloria in excelsis Deo. Deo, and that again is the Latin from the beginning of that particular song. I'm classifying Luke chapter 2 verse 14 as a song, even though if you look at verse 13, it says a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. It doesn't say singing, 
it says, and sang. And so I'm still going to classify this as a song. I checked 25 translations, and uh, t- all 25 of them used the word say or saying. I was trying to find one that said singing. I did finally find one. It was the 26th one that I looked at that said singing. It's not one of the best translations, however. But I do believe that we can include this as one of the songs of Christmas because we've made it into a song. If it were not one originally, it certainly has been made into a song. We often sing the words, glory to God in the highest, or Gloria in excelsis Deo. We sing, angels we have heard on high. And then we sing the Gloria in excelsis Deo. And it takes a lot longer to sing that line than it does to read it in here. Um, it takes a whole lot longer to sing that line. Interesting, though, that in the NIV study Bible, there's a study note in that calls this a brief hymn. Whether it's sung or stated, it's a brief hymn. The Believer's Bible commentary calls it a song. Alexander McLaren, one of the commentators, says, The night was filled with music. Matthew Henry calls it an angel's doxology. He refers to the angels as a chorus and refers to their song. Charles Spurgeon calls it the first Christmas carol. So you can see, I think I'm on safe ground if we call this a song of Christmas, if we call it one of Luke's songs. But if you're not convinced yet, if anybody wants to debate with me about this, one final quote, an older commentary, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They say this is a brief but transporting hymn, not only in articulate human speech for our benefit, but in tunable measure in the form of a Hebrew parallelism of two complete clauses and a third one only amplifying the second, and so without a connecting and, the glory to God which the newborn Savior was to bring is the first note of this sublime hymn to this answers in the second clause, the peace on earth of which he was to be the prince, probably sung responsively by the celestial choir, while quickly follows the glad echo of this note, probably by a third detachment of the angelic choristers. And you're sitting there saying, huh? <laughs> At least that's what I was hoping you would be sitting there. Huh? What, what in the world is that? This is in case anybody wants to argue with me that this is not a song. I will read that paragraph at you again. (laughs) And if you continue to persist, I'll read it a third time. And by then, I don't think anybody will have survived. Glory to God in the highest is how this song begins. It's the first part of verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And I ask myself this question, from where is this coming? From where is this coming? Glory to God in the highest. And actually, it's coming from God himself at the beginning. You look at verse 9. Sometimes we skip over this, but an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So much so that they were terrified. It says that they were filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. So we're, we're singing a song. The angels were joining with them in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And where is this expression? Where is this idea of the glory of God coming from? Well, God has already shown his glory by the time we get there. And then it's coming from a multitude of the heavenly host. New International Version calls it a great company of the heavenly host. They're the ones that ones that are singing it in verse 14 or saying it in verse 14. So it's coming from God himself. The glory of God is all around them. And what exactly does it mean when we talk about that glory of God? Well, one commentary has said, 
That's the bright light that surrounds the presence of God himself. Sometimes appearing as a cloud, sometimes as a bright light, sometimes as a burning fire. So this glory is coming from the emanation of God himself. And now we see that the angelic multitude is singing this. But if you look down to verse 20, the glory is also coming from the shepherds. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so the glory's everywhere. It's God's glory, his brightness that is all over everywhere. It is the host of angels singing that. And now it's the shepherds going and glorifying God everywhere they go. And then there's a fourth part of this. That is us glorifying God, bringing glory to God. We're trying to do that throughout this whole Christmas season. That's the intent of our salt, light, fragrance drama team tonight. It's to glorify God. It's to bring others to him, to let them know some of the greatness of God. It's not because people are going to win some type of an Oscar or an Emmy award tonight. It's because they want to glorify God. That's all that we're about during this Christmas season. And that's all that the first Christmas was about, filled with the glory of God. I want to ask you a question. What do you picture that this whole thing looks like? We've got this multitude of angels, this company of angels. We've got all this. What does it look like? I asked you before. Try to imagine that you're back there. What does it look like? And so you're picturing again in your mind this whole situation that's developing in front of you. If you look on the screen up at the uh, top left there, some of the artists picture, isn't this a, a, a pretty nice scene? The multitude of the heavenly hosts are praising God. That's kind of anemic as we look at the text in front of us. It gets better than that. You can see here now on the upper right-hand part of the screen more of the angels that are there. But I want us to picture something that goes beyond even that. I want us to picture, if you can see here again at the bottom, you can see that there are angels that are everywhere present. But according to what we're reading here, this isn't by any means showing us what's going on. Let me share with you some thoughts about what's going on and maybe I can add to that mental image that we're having of what's going on here because to me this is something very significant. What is referred to here is a host, a multitude of the heavenly host. That's a term used to describe an army encampment. The Lord Jesus used military imagery to describe the angels in Matthew 26, 53. That's when he said, you know what, I could call 12 legions of angels to come here. But Jesus wasn't about to call 12 legions of angels because he needed to fulfill his purpose. So he didn't do that. But he could have. We're talking about a host, the angel armies. We're talking about something that is very vivid imagery. Think about the name of God, Lord Sabaoth, the king of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, it suggests that the number of the angelic host may be too large for the human mind to even fathom. Because it's there in Revelation 5.11, it refers to them as the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. One of my favorite commentators, Kent Hughes, says of this multitude of angels, he said, we're not talking about 50. We're not talking about 150. We're not talking about 1,500. We're talking about angels beyond count. And then he goes into this vivid description. And this is not inspired, what he said. 
This is his imagination doing what I've just asked you to do. What does it look like in your mind what is going on here? But I think if we gather a picture of this, we'll see the glory of God manifest in a way maybe we haven't seen before. But here's what he says. I think every one of God's angels was there. Because this was the most amazing event that had ever happened in the entire universe. I think the heavenly host stretched from horizon to horizon, obscuring the winter constellations. I like to imagine that they radiated golds, pinks, electric blue, hyacinth, and ultraviolet. Maybe some were even sparkling. Well, he's got a nice imagination, imagining all these different colors and everything. Radiating golds. He should have black and gold in there also, but he radiating golds and pinks and electric blue but he's, he's got this whole thing you can't see anything but the angels that are there now now picture that picture these poor shepherds who started out innocently enough minding their own business tending their sheep and all of a sudden there's the glory of god then there's an angel a single angel and they're already badly frightened the angel says you don't have to be afraid i've got good news of great joy that'll be for all the people and then comes this multitude of the heavenly host, the angel armies that are there, what that must have done to affect them. I read later on in the passage where they went with haste to tell everybody, I don't think they had any problem believing something miraculous had just happened. I don't think they had any problem at all in seeing what they had just seen. Um, This to me staggers my mind to have been a part of what they were. Here's how John Milton says it poetically. The helmed, and he means helmeted here, the helmed cherubim and sordid seraphim in glittering ranks with wings displayed, the stars with deep amaze stand fixed in steadfast gaze. And what he's trying to say, I always needed poetry interpreted for me. He's trying to say this was a colossal event. This was something that affected the entire universe. Remember we read in First Peter about the angels longing to look into some of these things. They were there on their tippy toes. They were seeing something they'd never seen before themselves. All of creation was involved in this great, great moment at the announcement of the birth of a Savior. The irony, a huge army is announcing peace. (laughs) There's some irony there. This huge army is announcing peace, peace on earth. The angel's declaration was directed to the highest, in other words, to heaven, the highest heaven. The angel's message was first upward, and then it was downward. You'll see the glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I ask a question, why is it appropriate here for all of this reaction to what had just happened to them. Why is that appropriate? Well, there was an announcement of good news of great joy that would be for all the people. God would be glorified in His Son, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You'll notice, if you look at verse 11, there are three names for Jesus there. The first is the word Savior. That's one of the reasons why this gets such a great reaction. A Savior saving us from sin and from Satan and from death and from hell. There's a Savior. That all, all by itself is fantastic news. And then Christ is the second name for Jesus there. That's in the Greek. Or if you were to go to Hebrew for that, that would be the word Messiah. 
both of which mean the anointed one, the one of God's own appointment and choosing. And then the third name there is simply the Lord. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is there in view. This is the incarnation. This is the God of this entire universe. And we know how large the universe is now. Well, no, we don't. But we know it's a lot larger than we used to think. We know there are billions of galaxies, and ours is just one galaxy, and it just keeps going on and on and on. The God of the universe stepped into this planet, the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. All of this is taking place, and that's cause for this celebratory song in verse 14. So God would be glorified in his Son. Here's how one of the uh, commentators puts it, and I, I love the way he says this. The design of God in the incarnation was to manifest the hidden glories of his nature and to reconcile men to each other and to himself. The angels therefore declare that this incarnation shall manifest and promote the glory of God not only in the highest heavens, among the highest orders of beings, but in the highest and most exalted degrees. Glory to God in the highest not just the highest heaven, but the greatest degree that any glory could ever be brought. That's what he's saying. For in this astonishing display of God's mercy, attributes of the divine nature, which had not been and could not be known in any other way, should be now exhibited in the fullness of their glory. That even the angels should have fresh objects to contemplate and new glories to exult in. This is a whole new ball game, if you don't mind a sports alliterative. This is something that is unparalleled in the entire universe. We think about Christmas, it becomes kind of ho-hum to us after a while. Some of you have been through many, many Christmases. But if we think about what's going on here at the, this first Christmas, and we're celebrating the greatest event that ever occurred, And that's half of it. The next part of it is peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. The second part of verse 14. What kind of peace is this? Peace on earth. Is this simply the cessation of warfare? Or is there something more to it than that? Is this a promise that, uh, yeah, glory to God in the highest, but on earth, peace on earth among those with whom he's pleased. What kind of peace? Christ's work is to bring peace into all the human relations that there are. Think about that. It's not just the cessation of warfare. But we're talking about all human relations. Those with God, those with each other, those with circumstances, and to calm the discords of souls at war with themselves, even within each individual person. There's a lot of peace to be had. There are a lot of relationships that are there. And it's all included. This peace on earth is not limited to any one kind of peace. Every one of these relations, one has written, is marred by sin. And nothing less thorough than a power which removes it can rectify them. That birth was the coming into humanity of him who brings peace with God, with ourselves, and with one another. All kinds of peace. Again, 
the magnitude of what is before us. And the multitude of the angel's host is saying this, singing this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace with God, the peace of God, peace with each other. All of that is involved because the Prince of Peace can bring all of that about. I'd like to make two statements about peace. The first one is simply that peace is elusive. Peace is something that is elusive. In every one of those relationships that I just said, peace is elusive. When you think in terms of our world and the history of our world, in the last 3,400 years, roughly, you think about that, 3,400 years, the planet has been entirely at peace. That means there is no war going on anywhere on the planet for only 268 of those 3,400 years. Now, that doesn't mean that they were at peace entirely. It just means there were no declared wars that were going on. So the last 3,400 years, we've been entirely at peace for 268 of them. That's 8%. That's not a very high percentage. Peace is elusive. Look at our world today as well. You think peace is not elusive, uh, look at the divorce courts. Go into the small claims courts and see what it is that neighbors are suing each other about. And think in terms of uh, just, just yesterday, in fact. We were driving out on 350, no, it was on Route 1, near 452, and we were just crawling along. There were lots of cars that were there. Somehow, someway, a car with two ladies driving in it annoyed a man in front of them so much so that he got out of his car in the middle of all of this, started walking back to them, shaking his fist and yelling something that we couldn't tell. He was, he was really, really upset, annoyed, and angry. I was tempted to let Beth out of the car to go straighten out. I wasn't going to mess with it, but... How somebody could have gotten so upset at what was going on, whatever it could have been, we're going about a half a mile an hour, maybe. And, and whatever it was, I don't, know what, I don't know what was up with him. Here's how the cynics talk about peace. And um, cynics sometimes will try to be amusing. But there's a lot of truth to this. Christmas carolers sing about peace on earth, but they don't tell us where. Where can I find that? The amazing thing about a person being arrested for disturbing the peace these days is that he found any peace to disturb. Or they'll say, in spite of all the plans for world peace, there will probably be the usual number of June weddings. Now think about that. That's, that's cynical. But the idea being there that Peace is elusive. It seems that perfect peace can be found only in the cemetery. Peace is a period of international truce when haggling and cheating replace fighting. There's just one sure way to find peace, and that's in the dictionary. The dove of peace still finds the world covered with the waters of hate and jealousy. There can be no peace in the world until the caliber of its statesmen is equal to the caliber of its guns. Peace is a period of confusion and unrest between two wars. 
There will be no peace as long as God remains unseated at the conference table. It's hard to find lasting peace as long as there are more dogs than bones. I don't know about you, but we're, we have a visiting guest in our home right now, my son's dog. And I know exactly what that means because we have our dog and that dog and one toy or one treat does not work. It doesn't work in human relationships either. Domestic peace is the luxury you enjoy between the children's bedtime and your own. The world will never be the dwelling place of peace until peace has found a home in the heart of each and every person. Peace is elusive. The cynics know that. We know that. We understand peace is something that we are not going to be able to manufacture. We're not going to be able to find the scientists who are going to come up with the remedy, the formula for peace. It's only going to happen when the Prince of Peace is here. That's one statement about peace. Peace is elusive. The other one from our text is that peace is exclusive. Not everybody's going to have this peace. We'd like to think that we are, but not everybody's going to have that. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, as we're reading in the English Standard Version, it says, And on earth... Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Many of us grew up memorizing this verse from the King James Version, where it says on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So glory to God in the highest, but on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, if you're like I am, first time I saw the new translations, I said, they changed it. They changed it. I don't like the change. These modern translations on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased or on whom his favor rests. But I remember on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The problem is that expression is not exclusive. That opens itself up to the fact that everybody's going to have peace. And unfortunately, everybody is not going to have peace. It's only some according to the text that is here before us. So the question is, is there a difference in the two translations? that are on the screen right now, and does it matter? And the answer is yes to both questions. There is a difference, and yes, it does matter. In the King James Version, the peace and goodwill are extended to men with no exceptions, no qualifiers. It's as if peace were guaranteed automatically to everyone. But in the ESV, peace among those with whom he is pleased, similar to the NIV, peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's exclusive in the modern translations. The King James's translation is based on what we call the textus receptus. If that's a new expression, you can see that on the, uh, on the screen. The textus receptus, it's a great translation, but the oldest and the best manuscripts, uh, this is a little technical, but they have an additional sigma. That's a Greek letter S, shaped like an elevated half circle. It changes the word for goodwill from the nominative to the genitive case. But the bottom line to that, you don't have to understand all that. The bottom line is not everyone will have peace with God. It is not automatic. And we would like to say that, the world would like to say that, there's going to be peace for everyone, but there's not. The peace is going to be on those with whom he is pleased, with whom his favor lies. The Roman world was experiencing at that time what was known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was one of those times it was marked by an absence of war. But the angels heralded a deeper, more lasting peace than that. A peace of mind and soul 
that was made possible by the Savior. They spoke about peace with God, peace that the Messiah himself brings. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 79, this is Zechariah's Benedictus, and he says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Lord Jesus came to do that. Well, how is peace with God obtained? How do we get it? How do we get that favor? How do we get that pleasure of God on us? How do we get that peace? It's made very clear for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, among many other passages in Scripture. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes by being justified, by God declaring us in a legal sense not guilty because we placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. By taking God at his word, when he tells us to place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, to confess our sins to him, to acknowledge our need of a Savior, we do that. That's when real peace comes. That's peace with God. So on those who have placed their faith in Christ, that his favor rests. The story is told about a man who went forward at an evangelistic service, and the counselor there told him to believe in Jesus. He went back the next night and talked with another counselor who also told him to believe in Jesus. And that time, he did, and he was saved. Later, he met the first counselor who asked what the second counselor had said that brought him peace. He was wondering, why why did he get through to you and I didn't? The man replied, he told me to believe in Jesus. First man replied, but that's what I told you to do. That's true, said the man. But you told me to believe in Jesus. He told me to believe in Jesus. I was looking at my weak faith, but he stressed faith's object. He told me to let Jesus do it all. There's a huge difference in believing and believing in Jesus, the object of our faith. And that's where we are at this Christmas season. That's where we are in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And he's pleased with those who've invited the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives to be their Savior. You focus on your faith, you'll be miserable if you look to Jesus. That's where salvation is. That's how we get peace with God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we relive in our minds what went on, a true fact of history, an event that actually occurred, shepherds going about their normal activity, and you decided to let some of the common people in on the great news. You didn't come to the kings. You didn't come to the religious leaders. You didn't come to those who were maybe higher up on the social ladder. You came to shepherds, shepherds who were despised, who were looked down on, who were ridiculed. You came to them. Your angel appeared to them, and your glory shone around them. 
And ultimately, you gave them the great news of a Savior who would be born. And then all of heaven must have emptied. And the angelic host, the multitude of angelic hosts, proclaim glory to you in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom you're pleased. My prayer would be that for those of us who are here, you would be pleased with all of us. Because every one of us has acknowledged that we're sinners that need a Savior and have invited the Lord Jesus to come into our lives. I pray that that's true, but if it's not, maybe even in this moment there would be some who would be here who would invite Christ to be their Savior. Thank you that the shepherds became your instant ambassadors, returned to what they were doing, glorifying and praising you for all that they had heard and seen. May each one of us be an ambassador May each one of us go way out of our way during this Christmas season to think about others, to think about the impact that the message, the true message of the gospel of Christ can have on them. May we be inviting them to things like we're doing tonight and next Sunday and Christmas Eve and throughout the season, next Saturday night across the way in the park. May we be ambassadors because we desire to glorify you as well to let people see what a great God you are. So thank you for these scriptures, and thank you for those who even right now are thinking in terms of what it means to be pleasing to you by having your Son, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, taking permanent residence in their lives by an act of faith and belief when they invite him to do so. And I pray that there would be those who would do so even now. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's join the angels in singing glory to the newborn king. Sing Hark the Herald. Hark the Herald angels sing glory to
Christmas bonus about some event in our lives that pales in significance to the greatest event triggered by Jesus coming to this earth and all that he did following that. Forgive us when we lose that in the mundane and help us to truly realize even as we leave here for further instruction in your word and then out into this world to truly realize the great event that has occurred, colossal in its nature. You yourself, God, came to the planet in the person of the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for that great event. Thank you that the angels celebrated. Thank you that the shepherds witnessed. Thank you that they went out glorifying and praising you as we want to do as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.